Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, shepherd of the church, in the waters of baptism, you have given us new life, and at your table you nourish us with the food of salvation. We ask you to use the words of today's sermon to feed us richly, that we may find rest in the quiet waters of your word. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to John as recorded in chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired man who is not a shepherd does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. Because he works for money, he does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I also have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This is the commission I received from my Father. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what is your favorite Sunday of the church year? What is your favorite worship service altogether? I'd be willing to bet Christmas and Easter are up there in your top two. But I have to admit to you, the longer I've been in the ministry, the more I would put Good Shepherd Sunday as at least in my top three. When you belong to a congregation that has quite a Sunday school program, it's really neat when the Sunday school children stand up in front of the congregation and sing, I am Jesus, little lamb. Isn't it cute and adorable to see the defenseless children saying, my Savior has me tight in his arms and I am safe. But it's kind of hard for us as adults to say, my Savior has me tight and safe in his arms. It's, it's hard for us to admit, I am powerless when it comes to salvation. I, in and of myself, am powerless when the wolf who is the devil comes after me. I need a Savior to save me. I need the Good Shepherd to rule over all time in history for me. And so our sermon theme for today is, you are Jesus's little lamb. And why are you Jesus's little lamb? He says so right away in our first verse, and I am going to translate the Greek language here. It's very clunky, but it's very emphatic. He says, I myself am the shepherd, the good one. A mouthful is said there. See, when he says, I myself am the shepherd, he says, there are no other shepherds but me. Oh, the, anybody else that is a shepherd, they are a pale comparison. I am the shepherd of all shepherds. I'm the big one. I am the one to which all others are servants of. And then he adds, even more than that, he's also emphasizing the good one, the beautiful one, the perfect one, the one who knows exactly what he's doing all the time, the one everybody else could model themselves after, but no one else could save us the way he does. So it can't just be model yourself after this. He continues saying, the shepherd, the good one, lays down his life on behalf of his sheep. This is how you came to be Jesus's little lamb. He purchased and won you by living his life perfectly for you and by dying on the cross to remove your sin. But once you are in his sheep flock, he still lays down his life for you. 
You to Jesus are the reason why Jesus never needs to sleep. He's God. But we could proverbially say why he gets up in the morning, why he stays up and pulls the night shift when he thinks he hears the wolf howling. He lives for you. Everything is for you. And if the wolf is going to attack you and the wolf is Satan and Satan uses other people, but they're just puppets of the wolf, Satan. If the wolf's going to come after you, he has to get past Jesus first. He's going to have to kill Jesus before he gets to you. And he thought he had killed Jesus and Jesus rose again. We'll get into that here in a minute. So what Jesus is saying is he rules over all time in history. Even the bad things you and I complain about at life, the things that give us anxiety, the things we worry about. Jesus says, I have those. And what little bit you are feeling, you don't know how much I have withheld. But I'm allowing that because I have a good in mind for you and for your neighbor. Now, Jesus makes a contrast earlier in John chapter 10, the good shepherd uh, chapter. He talks about the thief coming in here. He talks about a hired Worker. He says in verse 12, the hired worker, namely who is not the shepherd of whom the sheep are not his own, sees the wolf coming and then he abandons the sheep and he flees. And then the wolf snatches and scatters them since he is a hired worker. And so he has no concern about the sheep. What is a hired worker? We don't want to confuse this for when Jesus sends you to share the good news of salvation with your neighbor. Or when Jesus sends you to tell a brother or sister in Christ, you're embracing a sin, you're straying away from the flock. And then when they come back to tell them the good shepherd is holding you. When you do that, when we call people to represent the congregation, for example, in the pastoral ministry or as Sunday school teachers or as staff ministers, deacons, deaconesses, etc., When people do that, they are actually, so long as they stay in accord with the word of God, they're actually the shepherd's voice. Jesus is working through them. What makes a hired worker a hired worker is they're in it for personal gain, for profit. Not because they love the Lord and they love their fellow members of his flock. And one of the greatest ways we see that is when people come into the pastoral ministry in order to get rich. Now, I want to tell you in the Wisconsin Senate for the work that a person has to go through, for example, just to be a pastor and for our Senate code scale. And I'm not complaining, but if you think they're getting into it to get rich, you don't. You are you are you need to do some research. But there are people and we see it in mega churches, right? Where what they do is they run it like a business model because they are out for the most profit. And the more sheep they get, the more money they make. There's something wrong when you're getting rich in the ministry. It's one thing to be a man who has a hobby, for example, invests and ends up getting rich. It's another thing to get rich specifically proclaiming the word of God. That is somebody who's in it for the profit. And you'll often find with those people, for example, they don't give the personal care to Jesus' sheep, like visiting them in the hospital and everything. They can't. The more sheep they have, the more profit they make. They have to delegate that out. Another way that people end up profiting off the Lord may have absolutely nothing to do with money. Some people are attracted to the power and the authority that at least is perceived. Now, the true power and authority in being Jesus's voice is in staying with the word of God. The word of God is the power and the authority. But there, uh, one of the largest churches in Christianity has undergone quite a lot of cleansing as there's been a scandal that you find out that a lot of the people became uh, called workers, if you will, in order to abuse their power and authority and they abused the sheep. Some people get into it because they like just the ego trip. 
Others may have a zeal for orthodoxy, and do not misunderstand me. We want to get the word of God right, because that is where the shepherd's voice is heard. But it's different to get the word of God right and have a zeal for that and have a zeal merely for orthodoxy, in which they end up chasing sheep away because of a set of doctrinal rules that they're just zealous to enforce, not out of love for the word of God. And that's the key difference. And so as they enforce it, they get this ego pat that, yeah, I'm standing with all these rules and laws and regulations, that is not pouring the blood of Christ on wounded sheep and healing them. And so we see you are Jesus's little lamb. He is not just the good shepherd. He's your good shepherd because out of pure love for you and I, when we were unlovable, when we were stuck in sin, he purchased and won us and he continues to care for us. And he calls brothers and sisters in Christ to care for us as he calls you to be his voice. And so you are Jesus's little lamb. He is your good shepherd. Verse 14 continues, Jesus says, I myself am the shepherd, the good one, and so I continually know my own. Now we would add sheep here. Not just I have known, but I continually know. And he says, my own continually know me, just as the Father continually knows me, and I myself continually know the Father, and I also lay down my life on behalf of my sheep. Jesus says something amazing here. He has no comparison on earth in which he can make to explain how, how much he knows and loves you. See, even if you were to compare to parenthood, and probably the closest in parenthood is motherhood. Yes, a mother loves her child and she comes to recognize the cry of I need my diaper changed versus the cry of I'm hungry versus the cry of I'm in pain. But when that child becomes a teenager, mama may know that he or she is out late. It's three in the morning and she may be worried and she may know they're up to no good, but she does not know specifically the no good they are up to. She does not know how to comfort their teenager all the time when they come in and they've had a bad day at high school and they don't want to talk about it. But see, Jesus makes the comparison between him and the father. We have one God, but three persons. The... and. As scripture says, that the spirit even knows the thinking, the mind of the Lord. See, Jesus can read God the Father's mind, who can read Jesus's mind, and the Holy Spirit can read their minds. And they have one perfect will. They know each other so well and intimately that they have one will while being three distinct persons, but one God. So how can Jesus make that comparison with you? It's not with your sinful nature, what we call your old man, but with your new person. The Holy Spirit gave birth to that new person through the voice of the Savior, through his work. And when he did, you were engrafted. The new person is engrafted onto Christ, John chapter 15, as a branch is to the vine. And so when you are connected to Christ, yes, the sap of Christ, shall we say, runs through you. You're not God, but Jesus knows your new person. He feels your pain when you are struggling. He knows you better than you know yourself. And so the only relationship he has, he, compare, he can compare that to is where we have one God, but three persons, that relationship, because you are connected to the good shepherd. And that means he knows you like no other. And in connection with that, verse 16 says, and I have other sheep which are not from this fold. I must also bring those. And so they will hear my voice and they will be one flock, one shepherd. When Jesus gives the I am the good shepherd sermon of John chapter 10, he's talking to the Jewish people. 
And first and foremost here, what he has in mind are the Gentiles. He's going to send men like the Apostle Paul out to those Gentiles that they become part of the flock as well. But he also has you in mind. We clearly see the doctrine of predestination here. And that is the doctrine of predestination is a sermon in and of itself. But let me just say this to comfort you. Before Jesus said, let there be light. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit planned out that you would hear his voice, that you would be, through his word, that you would be brought into his flock, and that he would keep you. He ruled over time and history to bring you into his flock and keep you into his flock. Now, if he has planned out in advance those things, how well does he know you? When you're up at, at late at night worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow, Jesus already knows and has already made a plan to resolve that issue. And so find great comfort. You are Jesus's little lamb. You can't predict the future. You can't control time in history. But he does. And he knows you like no other can ever know you. But this is also in another way, as he said in verse 14, not only does the good shepherd know you, but you know your good shepherd. He says, I myself am the good shepherd, and so I continually know my own sheep, and my own sheep continually know me. And in the second half of verse 16, he says, and so they will hear my voice, and they will be one flock, one shepherd. I know about working with cattle, because I have worked around uh, cattle in Wyoming. I, have not, I don't have that much experience with sheep. But I have been told you can take sheep from a thousand different flocks if you have a wide open space of land and put them all together and put shepherds in different directions and have each shepherd shout, come, come, and their sheep will recognize their voice and come. On top of that, the way we handle cattle in Wyoming tends to be we get behind them and we drive and we herd them. That's how the law works. The law says, go or else. But that's not how David shepherded. That's not how shepherds worked in Palestine when Jesus gave this sermon. Allow me, in Psalm 23, we say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. See, the way they would, the shepherds would work that if they had to take their sheep through a dark, dark valley like that, where there may be the wolf waiting, they would go through first. And then they would call out to their sheep, come, come. And those sheep hearing their voice would come and know it is safe. You know your Savior, and you know his loving voice. You know when somebody is a false shepherd kicking you, making you move forward. That's them using the law and abusing it. But you know the loving voice of your shepherd when you come and you listen to the sermon in Sunday worship. You literally gather with those who are in the flock. And I noticed when I was a layman, there were times where there were people who seemed to have a bladder problem, and it seemed whenever you got to the sermon, they had to get up and go to the bathroom. And if you think it was just that time, there are times even I as a pastor have seen, you move the sermon to the end of the service, and that's when they have to go. You begin the service with the sermon, and that's when they have to go. And yet it's in the sermon that you hear the word of God the most applied specifically to you. That's where you are learning the shepherd's voice. The liturgy crescendos to that sermon and decrescendos. If you see somebody who constantly gets up and roams during the sermon, maybe it's time to be the shepherd's voice and say, you're missing the shepherd's love. You're missing the application of his forgiveness to you. Now, I also want to point out as a congregation, as a flock, for example, the single mom in the pew, 
My wife had to be one of those because I was up front preaching the sermon and she had the privilege, if she didn't get to hear the sermon, even beforehand, I often practiced it on her anyways. But I always appreciate, and there were a couple of men in one of the congregations I served when my sons were very young who would often say, today you get to hear the sermon and they would put my son on their knees. Please, for that single mom in the pew, please take the time and say, let me watch your child today so today you can be refreshed with the shepherd's voice. Now, because of COVID, we shut down Bible study because we didn't have a place to offer that and allow the seven days we were told was needed for that virus to die. We're about to start that up again prayerfully. But in Bible study, you get to sit down and study the shepherd's voice. That's the law. That's the gospel. So that you can get really good at saying, uh, no, that's the voice of a hireling not the voice of my loving shepherd. And so you know him and hear his voice. It's when his word is, pro- is proclaimed to you in its truth and purity. And like those sheep who can distinguish the voice of different shepherds, you get to know his loving voice when you are hearing his word. Lastly, our last two verses here is verses 17 and 18. Jesus says, For this reason the Father continually loves me, that I myself lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one takes it away from me, but I myself lay it down and I continually have the authoritative power to take it again. I receive this commission from my father. When Peter, for example, as the spokesman, shall we say, acting as the spokesman for the apostles, preaches to the Sanhedrin or to the crowd on Pentecost Sunday, 50 days earlier that crowd had shouted, crucify, crucify, not all the crowd, but some of them. He literally says, you murdered the Lord of life. And if Jesus had been a regular person, everything they did, the railroad job, they would have murder on their hands. But here is where we can say truly, Jesus laid down his own life. They thought they were murdering him, but he picked the exact moment of his death and he could have called on legions of angels to stop it. God the Father raised him because he approved of the work. God the Holy Spirit raised him because he approved of the work, but Jesus had the power to raise raise himself. And he continually stands in the way between you and Satan. You and I would be amazed and terrified if we saw how much the devil had in mind to, keep, uh, to make us fall so that he could have us eternally in hell. Jesus says, I can use that much for the good of my sheep. The rest, nope. I'll smash your head in with my shepherd's cane. Jesus loves you. I translate here the authoritative power because the word can mean authority and power. So let me use a a made up, a fictitious example. States have rights by our Constitution. If the federal government were to pass a law, and we're pretending here, that limited the freedom of religion, and the state of Wyoming were to say, no, we're not going to follow that. But then the federal government called the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines to surround the borders of Wyoming. Wyoming has the authority to say, no, we're not going to follow that. But if the federal government decides to enforce it, Wyoming's military is not going to stand up to the federal military, right? Jesus doesn't just have the authority. He has the power. And that's important for you to understand. He doesn't just have the authority to rule over all time, all of creation for you. He has the power. And so he did. He, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit planned, as I said, to bring you into the flock. And they have planned to keep you into that flock so that the devil's never going to defeat him. In fact, the devil was defeated on the cross. Christ will, if you die, 
Christ is taking you to heaven. He's going to raise you up with a new and glorified body while that soul, that new man that's connected to him so he knows you intimately will be before his throne in heaven until Christ returns. And he's going to give you the new heavens and the new earth. And so whether it's he's sending a pastor, an elder, a Sunday school teacher or a brother or sister in Christ such as a neighbor to come and tell you, You're straying from the flock. That's the proclamation of law. Oh, the shepherd has picked you up. He's washed you clean. He's bound your wounds. That's the good news of salvation in Christ. He is shepherding for you when he sends people to do that as well. And so we rejoice because he has the authority and power to shepherd you. Yes, it's Good Shepherd Sunday, and I love singing, I am Jesus, little lamb. My sinful nature hates it because it wants to say, no, I'm powerful, But when we recognize we are weak and defenseless, but Jesus has us in his arms as he does his entire flock, then we rejoice. You are Jesus's little lamb. He's the good shepherd, but he's specifically your good shepherd. He knows you like no other. You know him and you hear his voice and he has the authority and power to shepherd you. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.